Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. As York County's official Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development Organization, we're here as a resource center to connect you to specialized funding, business services, advocacy programs, and events to help you and your business thrive. Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Schreiber with the York County Economic Alliance here with another series in our podcasts. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you found these informative and educational just as much as we have had uh, in making them. So today we have a really interesting topic, and uh, with me is Miss Sandra Graham. She's the owner of Progressive Leadership. We're really going to try to focus in on how to achieve measurable improvements in an individual's ability to lead, communicate, and produce. So how are we achieving those measurable improvements? And this is what really, Sandra, you've been sort of working on, and this is your this is your daily life that you, you live in and out. So tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you arrived at the point at which you are today. Absolutely, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being um, here. How did I get into this? Well, golly, I guess it started um, after school. Uh, I left school at Penn State and went into corporate America doing training and development in HR. Uh, what I found was I really enjoyed the training and development side more than the HR, so I spent a lot more time there. Um, what I also recognized after a while was that I soon became frustrated as a facilitator of change. What we did was provided very good tools, information, resources, for employees to make change, but then we weren't very good at following up with support and other tools for ongoing change to happen. So, uh, as I said, I became frustrated. Uh, We sent the employees back into the same environment expecting something different. They were frustrated. And also the uh, organizations were frustrated because there wasn't a good return on their investment of time and effort and money that was invested in the employees for training and development. So after a number of years doing that, I decided there had to be a much better way as a facilitator of change, and more specifically in behaviors and attitudes as they relate to the goals of the organization. So in uh, 1988, I think, I decided to start looking for um, proven tools and resources for use in change management. So spent about a year doing that. In 1989, I believe, Progressive Leadership was formed and established with a focus on the people side of business, more specifically the executive, managerial, and sales levels, um, helping them to determine where they are, where they want to go, how to make the changes in that gap between the two points, Uh, We also recognized it uh, very shortly after that, that we also needed to incorporate assessments. So we added a full battery of assessments and types of assessments for evaluating just that, where where people were, leaders were, their managers were, um, support materials were, or support individuals were, in terms of their professional growth. Where are they now? Where do they need to be? What's the gap in between? So the assessments are very helpful in any number of applications from organizational needs to individual needs. So that's that's pretty much how I got to this point. 
That's got to be incredibly rewarding experience too, because I would imagine that you get to see a diversity in businesses, large and small. Um, do you primarily focus your efforts in central Pennsylvania, or are you kind of stretched all over? Well, it's interesting. When I started out, it was predominantly in the York area, which spread then to Harrisburg, subsequently to, to Baltimore, uh, in terms of the leadership development, because all of our work um, is accomplished on our client's site. Um, there's very little activity in my office for that re in that regard. So uh, we're actually going client site to do it, and it requires travel. Sometimes it's longer, but in answer to your question, predominantly in the Pennsylvania area, although our assessments take us to Utah, to Arizona, to um, Col or, yeah, Colorado and California as well. How do you really define what progressive leadership is? Progressive leadership is, is pretty much just looking at an organization, where are they and where do they want to go? And why aren't they there? Uh, what have they done to move themselves in that direction? What else could they do? And that's, that's really about the process of change, is how does that work? What steps need to be taken? Typically, what I've found in the past is we do kind of a, a, a ready, fire, aim approach mm -hmm. to change instead of sitting down and saying, OK, where do we really want to go? What is our vision? Um, what is our purpose? Why are we doing what we're doing? And what are we willing to do to get there? And that's the biggie question. What are we willing to do? What have we done in the past? How do we analyze all of that? So that's the purpose of progressive leadership is to sit down. And in many cases, I'm holding the hand of the business owner or the CEO to help them gather all that information because more often than not, We've not taken the time to sit down and evaluate where we are and where we want to go. Uh, we're just too busy with life, too busy with work. Uh, we're, in many regards, reacting to whatever's coming down the pike versus taking a proactive approach to where we really want to go ultimately. Do you, I imagine you've seen this industry change to some degree over the last 20 years as well. Is it becoming more readily apparent that companies and corporate structures need to have sort of change management plans? Or is it just because in human nature, change tends to be rather difficult and sometimes we're opposed to it? Do you think it, it's still a struggle to shift that mindset of a company? Uh, all of that, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is, it a, is it difficult? Yes. Um, because we're basically talking human behavior right. here and attitudes. I mean, we have three parts of a business. If we look at a business, we have the product, we have the process, and we have the people. Um, product and process, most times the organization knows pretty much what they want to do or not do with that. They have a fair handle on it. They, they do, generally speaking, have some good measuring sticks to see whether they're winning or losing at what they're doing. But the people side of it is the side that is, is unpredictable and varied. Uh, because people have all types of personalities, they've come from all kinds of backgrounds, um, their attitudes change accordingly, and it's our attitudes that drive behaviors. So working in that, that people side of business is really where we've, we've put our energies. And to answer your question, yes, uh, if you know anything about human behavior, um, change is difficult. 
Um, and fortunately, in today's world, change is inevitable as well right. in any environment. Um, so helping people to understand not only what change you want to make, but more specifically, why is it important to make that change? Whether it's a change in our routine, a change in our policies, uh, a change in the way we go about approaching our, our daily tasks, why is it important? And only when we understand the what and the why can we move ahead successfully with the how part. The how part is what action steps are we going to take to make those changes. And truthfully, it's been my experience in the last 28 years, if we don't make some of those changes, um, we're going to be stuck in the mire that we're in because the world's changing quickly. We're receiving mandates, uh, demands from government, from markets, from clients, um, all kinds of things. We, we really need to stay on top of those changes in order for us to remain successful and competitive in today's market. So are there common suggestions that you may have? I mean, so how do you help a business manage change? What's a process like that look like? Well, we follow, closely follow, uh, a process that basically has seven steps to it and is rooted right in the original change, um, performance improvement change process um, years ago. And when we look at that, when I sit down with an organization, we start with, with step one. Um, what is your awareness? There's an awareness something isn't working or it's working very well. So if that's the case, then what are some of the strengths we might want to maximize? What are some of the areas of concern or weaknesses we might want to manage a little bit better? So it's that, that awareness, first of all, that we might need something, even if we think we don't. And then we go to step two and we say, okay, now that we're aware, let's identify what is working or not working well. Um, then we might identify five, six, seven different areas or, or um, methodologies that aren't working. And then the matter becomes, let's sit down and prioritize those things. Which ones would give us the, so to speak, the greatest bang for our buck if we address first, second, and third? What is the priority of those things we need to fix? And it's interesting because when we go through this process to that that's part, um, we're not looking at um, what's wrong and what's right. Most of the people that we've dealt with over all these years are doing most things correctly and right. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to stay in business. But what the, the proactive organizations are looking for are the, is that slight edge. What can we do just a little bit more or a little bit less um, that's going to make us more successful and give us that competitive edge? And we know that it's the people that make the organization go round. So you can have the best product and the best process, but if your people aren't on board and engaged and um, participating... Really in, bought into it. Really bought into it, yes. Having a good buy-in. So that, that kind of prompts an interesting question. How much of it is even pumping the brakes a little bit and giving you the ability to, you know step aside with whomever you're dealing with, senior management or the CEO or, or groups of staffing and really be less reactionary and more proactive. 
Um, is it really the the opportunity to kind of stop, pause, breathe, and you know not deal with the day to day alarms and fires that in, are inevitable in business, but really to to try to think through you know where the business wants to be and and how it plans to get there. Absolutely, all of it, Kevin, and that moves us into that third and fourth step of the process change. Once we we have an awareness and we've identified where those changes need to happen, um, it is important to step back at that point and say, okay, we, we now have a priority of these things, and we've selected one and two. I don't recommend trying to do it all at one time. doesn't work well. Right. But let's look at the top two. And, and here again, if this is what you think is important, why is it important? What kind of an effect is it going to have on your overall success? How soon is it going to get you to where you want to be? How difficult is it going to be? Are you going to have the resources to do it? If not now, when would you have them? So does the priority need to change? And actually stopping long enough to go back through that entire process is in and of itself a challenge, Kevin, because, again, we're in such a reactive sense. We're running lean and mean in many cases. Uh, we have all kinds of alligators after us, from government regulations to um, downsizing, attrition, mm-hmm. M&As, you name it. All of those things come into play. So it really does take um, the initiative from the leadership of an organization to really stop and say, okay, we're going to set aside this time to really investigate, analyze, evaluate whatever is needed to really make sure that we're on the right path. Which sounds like it really, you know, is it possible to do it if you do not have buy-in? Um, well, that's a little of the case of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. Um, if we do not have a really clear vision, purpose, and mission, and when I say that our, our purpose is really to help um, achieve greater levels of success in leadership, communication, and productivity. Leadership really needs to know what that looks like because mm-hmm. if they can't describe it, um, buy-in doesn't happen. It's important to remember that for every goal and, and benefit to be gained or a loss to be avoided that the organization might have, every one of the employees have the same thing in their own own minds and own lives, and they need to be congruent. So helping the, and I'm, I'm kind of getting aside a little bit, but mm-hmm. if the organization doesn't understand what it needs for its own organization, that's challenge number one. Right. If they haven't taken the time to learn the goals and objectives and, and values of its employees, and that's not a lengthy process. It can be done very um, easily or relatively easily. And find that congruency buy-in doesn't happen. You're always going to have that resistant resistance where the employees right. are digging their heels in and saying, I'm not following what you're telling me I have to do. I hear your goals. I hear your reasons. I hear your expectations. But you know what? They don't really fit my perspectives of what I thought we were going to do. And I'm really not sure they fit my personal values. So the organization has a responsibility there to help match that. Right. Now, that doesn't mean they're totally responsible. No, the employees have a big responsibility right, as right. well. So as we talk of the topic of how to achieve measurable improvements, are there specific steps that you su- tend to suggest on how to quantify change and how to quantify success? 
Absolutely. If we're looking at it as an organization, um, and let's, for example, say we're producing widgets, mm-hmm. okay? Um, we know that right now we have we produce so many widgets. Um, we want to really be able to produce 10 times that many widgets. So at that point, then we have to look at our process and say, does it require new equipment? Does it require new resources, uh, re- uh, re-engineering? I mean, there's all kinds of things we can look at with product or process. But when we're talking about people, we're, we're looking at uh, what are their skill levels, what are their capabilities, what are their desires. And sometimes, you know, we, why don't people do what we want them to do? The number one reason is they don't understand our expectations. Mm. And when they don't understand our expectations, it's more often than not because we haven't been very clear in our communications as to what we want and why we want it and what we expect to follow. Another reason that it doesn't always happen is um, we don't always include, uh, I can't tell you how many examples I've had over the years where leadership says, okay, we figured out that this is what's wrong and now we're going to go fix it and do this. And we jump right over to from identifying what we want to do to actually implementing it. We don't have those steps in between that say, let's analyze this. So when you ask me, are there very specific steps? Yes. Step back. What is it we want to do? Why do we want to do it? And at the risk of repeating myself, uh, that's a critical part of that change process. And a a very wise person said to me a long time ago, um, people will support what they help to create. Mm -hmm. And so by including um, the lower levels of management and subsequently some of the Um, key people below that, if we don't include them in what we want and solicit a little bit of input from them, and again, that's not lengthy or doesn't take a lot of time, but it supports that buy-in immeasurably. So we're not, we've been talking pretty much about process and product at this point and a little bit about people, but changing attitudes and behaviors is, is along the same lines. We still have an awareness that something's not working. Um, you're not producing, for example, what you should be producing, or you're not getting done all the things you need to get done in a period of time. So then we have to identify that too. Why not? Do you have the resources? Do you have the skills? Do you have the initiative? So there's another whole identification process with the people side, which is really what we do. And we start with leadership at the top, because change filters from the top down a whole lot easier than it does from the bottom up. So what do we need to do in the C-suite, the leadership level, uh, in terms of of building trust among that group, of building an action plan, a vision, and purpose, a mission for moving forward? And then how do we, each one of us, incorporate the rest of the organization into that? And how does that fit into our marketplace? How does that fit into our competitive abilities? So I have to imagine that in some cases you've gone into settings where it's difficult to measure the intangible. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, the the culture of adaptiveness to change or or, um, a a culture that accepts it and, and, you know, is bought in. How do you how do you consult the leadership to manage that or to measure that or how do you try to affect it and is it something where you can actually measure 
and say, yep, you know, we've hit that culture point where everyone's bought in and we're humming? Or is it something where you just kind of know it when you see it? A little bit of both. You do know it when you see it. But again, when you're very clear on the what and the why, the how comes easily. So, but you, but you bring an interesting point. Um, tangible items are are easy to to measure. You know, so right. many widgets, you can count widgets, right? Uh, so many sales, uh, however, whatever you're measuring your six level of success on. But you're right. Um, when we're talking about, uh, let me think, team cohesiveness would be a good one. Team development, right? Okay, we have a team of people. They're comprised of various values, backgrounds, um, ethnic, um, mm-hmm. whatever. And they're coming together, and yes, they're functioning okay, but we know if, if we could just get them to do, be a little more congenial, mm-hmm. um, um, nicer to one another, they seem to have attitude <laughs> with things. Right, right. Um, that's where the assessments come into play a lot of the time, and I usually will start there. And we'll, um, we've done this with innumerable um, employers where we've assessed them all um, or that particular team and work specifically with that particular team. Let's assess them. Let's see where their strengths and weaknesses are individually, where are their strengths and weaknesses as a team, how does that fit into the what and the why that the organization wants to grow, and learn about one another. Um, give you an example. Um, not too awfully long ago, I worked with a, a smaller organization where the CEO came in, and if you can envision um, an old press room mm-hmm. where, the, where the editor comes through the press room and he's walking past all of the desks Clamor, yeah, and everybody yep. on the desk and they're watching him walk through and he goes into his office at the end of the corridor and shuts the door. Well, we had a CEO that did that and it wasn't quite that, <laughs> quite mm-hmm. that open, but pretty close. He would walk down the corridor, and of course his key personnel were on either side of it. So there might have been, I don't know, six or eight of them on, on either side. And he traditionally would walk in in the morning, not say much of anything. He'd be thinking about the day's activities and go into his office and shut the door. Well, he was having a lot of difficulty. He perceived difficulty anyway, that people just weren't doing what he wanted them to do and without going into a lot of detail. They weren't meeting deadlines, or they they just weren't uh, getting along as well as he'd like to see them getting along. And it created a number of challenges for him and for the business. So we did. We actually did a group um, program with him, and we did the assessments on the front end. And long story short, what he learned was the people that were on either side of that corridor would love to see him just break a smile on his way through or say good morning once in a while uh, to let them know that he really cared about them mm-hmm. because they had this feeling of they were just puppets in, in, in a play and um, really weren't of any value. So their performance was showing up as not of any value. So it's, it's an intangible, how do you measure it? But um, his assignment then, again, this is a very simplistic um, mm-hmm. sure. example, but his assignment was from that point on to walk in, at least put a, a half a smile on his face mm-hmm. or attempt to, or get rid of the, the frown lines in his forehead. And all we had to do was say good morning to two people. And I think there were eight there, so it took him a whole month to <laughs> get through the whole list of them. But 
the thing is, it made a huge difference in their output, however they were measuring their output. So even though it was an intangible thing that he did... It's the subtleties, right? It's the subtleties, but it had a significant effect on the positive outcome or objectives that they were setting for that office. Everybody was happier. They talked to one another. Um, just so, wasn't not to ask your secret sauce, but sure. I, I, when dealing with you know any business owner, leader, C-suite, whatever, often they tend to you know they're they're mired in the day to day. They're you know it's a it's a daily grind of getting through, putting out fires, you know whatever emergency. Focus on trying to you know move the ball forward. Yeah. Do you find that they often need convincing that this is important enough to pause and take a break? Or does it require them to hit a catastrophic moment of where they just need it and they know they need it and they've, I don't want to say like rock bottom or something like that, but it's a, you know, they need conflict resolution. And kind of, I know this is a complex question and might be rhetorical, but ultimately is it, are there certain traits to successful businesses where they do cordon off time to do this type of planning effort to focus on the intangibles and focus on the kind of the investment in the human capital. So if I'm understanding... <laughs> That's a very complex question. Yeah. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying, I think, um, how do you get their attention? Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and do they tend to, you know, are you able to get their attention and do they tend to say, yes, this is important enough, let's do it? Or is it... Is it more of a mindset um, where they may say people should just do what they're told and it's work? Well, let's say that some will, some won't, and mm -hmm. some don't even care. But yep. um, uh, the ones, I think to answer your question, first let's determine whether they're really serious about doing something. Mm -hmm. um, second of all, if they're already down and on their way out, um, you're attempting a rescue. So it's it's really... How badly do they want to learn? Typically, our clients are the ones that have been very successful to this point, but they're looking for that slight edge again. Gotcha. They're moving ahead, and they're saying, we really want to grow, and whatever grow looks like to them. Mm -hmm. and, and they determine the metrics, and that's the difference between progressive leadership and another consulting firm. Um, I've seen many consulting firms go in and say, for example, Kevin, you know, you... We've done an analysis and whatever behind the scenes, and we're saying you need to do this and you need to do that, and here's the plan, and they leave. Right. <laughs> and you're stuck right. to implement it. And that's uh, most times my experience has been you need a little hand-holding. You need a little help, whether it's you direct or with it's, it's our team working with your subordinates in helping them to support what you set out to create. So it may not necessarily be surgical get in, get out, but it's really no. helping to work on all aspects of that ecosystem, basically. It's a complex organism. It's an organization. It changes. You've got different players, Absolutely. people, and it's really working through a process. If, if we don't hear anything else, it's important to know that change is a process. It is not an event. And too often we try to make it an event. Uh, again, we say, okay, we know something's not working. This is what we think it is. Let's jump down here and do something. And we have no way to measure it. And all of a sudden, we're in another catastrophic situation. And we didn't even get out of the first one. So, yes, 
back to the question I think you asked. Um, yes, we absolutely have to sit down and allocate some time to say, all right, we're going to look at this. And typically where I step apart from that is when I sit down with someone new and they've agreed to, to, to sit down because we've said, you know, our goal is to work with you and your staff to achieve measurable improvements in the way that you lead, communicate, and produce. And that's exactly what we're looking to do. And instead of saying, you know, you to do this, and did you do that, and something else, um, we ask a lot of questions around that awareness, around that identification. And I can tell you this much, over the years, if any organization I go into and they say, well, we have challenges, so-and-so is not doing such and such, uh, we're not achieving our goals, we're not this, I can almost guarantee you that, that the biggest culprit in that is communication, either lack of or unclear. And that's from the top down. When we do organizational studies, it's interesting, we'll do an, um, uh, an assessment on the organization itself on three major factors in, in its leadership style, its structure, and its culture. And we break that out into demographics. So what does the leadership level think? What does the supervisory level think? And what does everybody else think about where we're going and why we're going there and what we're expected to do? And there are major disparities between the three groups in terms of what, what they think they said and what they think they heard in terms of different, I mean, it just creates havoc, um, misunderstanding. So really dealing with the uh, rapid fire nature of yep. change, communication is probably yep. one of the common threads to, to keep everything bound together. Absolutely. I can give you a real, real short example that I use in the classes every now and then. If I said to you, Kevin, I want you to go out in the hall, and there's a whole pile of boxes out there, and I want you to stack them up so they're nice and neat. Can you do that? I think so. All right. Um, let me know when you're done. Okay. All right. So you go out, you stack them up the way you think they should be stacked up. I was not real clear in my communication. I did not say which corner to put them in. I did not say how I would like to see them. I said nice and neat. That could be two by two to you, and I want them stacked on top Broken of one another. Broken down, right, right. Absolutely. So, and it's, it's the minor, they're minor things, but they create major challenges. And again, it's kind of spending that time Absolutely. Properly, uh, Absolutely. And, and reminding ourselves that if our asset is, if our greatest asset is our people, Absolutely. then we have to give it the proper care and attention. Absolutely. And it starts again at the top and filters down. And it really is something, I'm sure that it is embodied throughout the culture of an organization when you, when you know it, you see mm -hmm. it, so to speak. And one of the differences that, that we follow through on is that discovery process on the front end, Kevin, what I call discovery process. Most um, leadership of any organization uh, in, in today's market with everything so fast and, and mm -hmm. fast paced, it's tough to sit down and, and carve the time out to sit down and look at these things. And even if you do have the time, it's like, where do we start? Right. And so right. Um, that discovery process where we're starting is questions. Um, I don't know if you ever watched Kung Fu years ago. It was on the TV, and it was David Carradine. Yeah, he, yeah. he was the the uh, Kung Fu guy. He'd walk around and help everyone. It always showed uh, flashbacks. Yes, it showed flashbacks of him as a child in the monastery. 
And he was always going to Master, who was an old guru and sage, if you will, sat on an elevated platform. And Kung Fu in his younger years in the monastery was called Grasshopper, and Master was the the old sage. Mm -hmm. And I remember this one particular um, episode where Grasshopper was all upset because things weren't going the way they should go, and he wasn't achieving what he wanted to achieve, and somebody else wasn't doing what he wanted them to do. And he's, he's saying, Master, Master, I simply don't understand. Where do the answers come from? And Master said, Grasshopper, the answers come from the same place as the questions. And so asking all those critical questions on the front end to develop the the identification part, to develop the priority part, to develop the the action plan, what are we going to do first, second, and third? What does that look like? Who's responsible for it? When do you want to get started? Who all's involved? And then establishing a measuring stick for measuring our progress all before we begin to implement or do anything. And those are the critical steps that that we miss when we're looking at the process of change, awareness, identification, goal, priority, action plan. So it really sounds like a lot of what you're doing on the front end is that investigatory discovery. Absolutely, absolutely. You're like CSI. You're going in and you're trying to unravel a little bit. Because what that does is it identifies the what real very clearly, and more importantly, the why we need to change direction or change methodologies. So when you're doing this, um, companies large or small, successful, unsuccessful, or in a period of change, how do you manage the egos that are involved? Um, how do you navigate those egos? How do you navigate, you know, maybe stubbornness to change? Um, are there any tricks of your trade? Or, And I have to imagine it exists everywhere. That was a really loaded question, Kevin. <laughs> I'm good at <laughs> asking these complex questions. Dealing with the ego is, is um, yeah, it's a challenge. But I, it all starts, not only are we looking at, when I, let me back up. When I'm working with an organization, yes, indeed, we start with the leadership first. So that's however many people are there. And I usually work in small groups, 10 or 12 people. Uh, So leadership and key personnel for that. We're establishing not only the organizational goals, but individually, each one of them establish their own goals and how making sure that they're congruent with the organizational goals. And sometimes we find people aren't a good fit for that organization. Uh, maybe in culture, in skill level, whatever. So as they go through that process of their their own identification of what their goals are and what they want to accomplish and why they want to accomplish it, usually the ego uh, issues come out, Mm -hmm. and then they have a choice to make. It's our greatest power in life is our power to choose. We can choose to change it, or we can choose to let it alone, and that's purely up to you. If it's a behavior that's not working well, it's up to you to choose it, to change it, or not. And But it's also your responsibility to accept the consequences from that. With great power comes great responsibility. Absolutely. To quote Spider-Man. Um, Sandra Graham, Progressive Leadership, thank you so very much for this. This has been incredibly insightful. Um, what we didn't tell you when you signed up to be here is that we're going to throw a little lightning round of some fun questions at you to, to, to close this out. I know, I know. <laughs> 
what the listeners can't see right now is that Sandra is incredibly excited for this, this little moment of change that we're throwing at her. Um, these are very, they're harmless questions. We pinky swear. All right. Are you ready? Pinky swear. I pinky swear. All right. What is your guilty pleasure food? Oh, salt. Ooh, that, <laughs> that's a great broad brush right there. Um, if you were caught singing in the shower or the car, what would you be singing? Mm, boy, that's a tough one. Climb every mountain. Oh, nice. Would you like to sing any of it right now? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will not ask that anymore. Pasta or meatloaf? Oh, pasta, definitely. If you were to indulge at a bar, what would your favorite cocktail be or, or beverage of choice? Well, I just spent um, three days out of town, and I had two margaritas, so I would have to say Nicely done. margaritas. Salt or sugar? Oh, salt, definitely. Yep, there we go. Indulging <laughs> already. Uh, what is, uh, I have to think that you have a lot of hidden talents, but what is one hidden creative talent that most, uh, other than maybe those closest to you, don't know exist? Oh, jeepers. Um, I have a lot of interest in a number of hobbies. Probably the one that people wouldn't recognize is my husband and I thoroughly enjoy restoring old cars. Oh, nice. Um, That's very cool. Pre-war wow. for the most part. Um, English cars. That's very cool. MGs, Jaguars, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a hobby. It's a challenge. No, I would have <laughs> But it is fun. That's yeah. cool. That's very cool. Um, well, that sort of leads into the next one, which we've asked our guests, which is what was your first vehicle? What was my first vehicle? Oh, golly. Oh, my first vehicle was a... No, that's not so. No, it was a 57 Ford. Oh, very cool. Nice. Yeah. And do you have a favorite movie? What's a go-to? Um, Gone with the Wind. Oh, lovely. Schindler's List. Uh, Although it was a downer, it was a great but movie. But an incredible movie, <laughs> yes. And since, as we are recording this, it is the month of October, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Snickers bars. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Sandra Graham, thank you so much for being here from Progressive Leadership. Thanks for talking with us today. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure as well. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Weiss EA podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. For more information, visit us on our website at www.ycea-pa.org or call us anytime and talk to one of our experienced staff members at 717-848-4000. And always remember to start here.